Why did God choose you? How did he choose you? When did he choose you? You could say, you know, he just loves me. And while that would be absolutely true, it doesn't quite answer the question. It doesn't quite answer how God, who is holy, righteous and just, would choose to save a sinful you and a sinful me. So today I'd like to unpack this with you, starting with how did God choose, why did God choose, and when did he choose you? First, how did God choose? In present day society, there's a few common reasons people are typically chosen. There's merit, chance, and mutual obligation. Merit, chance, mutual obligation. First common reason is merit. You can be chosen because you've earned it or because you have something to offer. If you've ever been given a job or a promotion or a pay rise or just simply an important task to do, you were chosen based on merit, based on what you could offer. You were qualified for the task, your experience, your skills, your talents, your personality, your knowledge. It made sense why the person you were given this task, this job, based on what you could offer them. The second common reason is chance. Um, you know sometimes how McDonald's does those raffle games where you get some fries or a drink and you scan the little QR code on the back and then you go on the Macca's app and it says you won a little prize. Well, Shannon and I, we knew someone who won a brand new car through this game. And so it must have been awesome. It should have been awesome to be chosen for this reward, but they were chosen based on chance. There wasn't anything particularly special about this particular item. There wasn't anything special about this person's merit. It was either them or one of the other 28 million people that live in this country. And the third common reason that people are chosen is mutual obligation. When I was in late primary school and early high school, I was under the average height and I weighed about 45 kilos. My arms were about the size of my wrists and unfortunately my stomach was far, far smaller than it is today. Whenever we would do PE, two captains were chosen, usually the best at sports and we play 40 or basketball. And so they would stand at the front and they would start to choose people on their team. Now I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. And without doubt, every single time it came down to me and another equally scrawny kid. And with some umming and some ahhing and also a stern push from the teacher, I was eventually chosen. I was chosen to be on the team. But it's because they needed to fill last spot and it's because I needed to be on a team. I was chosen, yes, but not because of chance, because the captains willingly chose who would be on their team. And it definitely wasn't because of merit. I had nothing to offer. It was because they needed to fill the last spot on that team and I needed to be on a team. Merit, chance, mutual obligation. Common reasons people are typically chosen in society. 
But what I want you to see this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8, is that is not how God chooses. God doesn't choose based on merit, as if we have something to offer, and God goes, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Look at you, your talents, your skills, your good deeds. How could I not pick you, choose to save you and bring you into my holy kingdom? If I pick you, you'll make me look really good and you'll get stuff done. No. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64.6, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Romans 9.11.12, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. As tough as the pill is to swallow, God doesn't choose based on merit because we have none. As weird as it sounds, that is really good news. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, it reads, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Understand that if our salvation was up to us, we would not have it. You couldn't muster up enough faith apart from God's grace to believe. You can't receive grace without God. Grace by definition is unmerited. And what an unbelievable safety blanket that is. We are saved by Christ's merit and not our own. The totality of our salvation by grace through faith is God's gift. God also doesn't choose based on chance as if he has all the names written on a piece of paper, tears them up, puts them into some sort of magic hat, closes his eyes, picks one out and says, Shannon, you won? Come on into my kingdom. Everyone look at Shannon. Come on into my kingdom. It's your lucky day. No. Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those whom he predestined, he also called. There is no randomness in his choosing. There's no chance in his choosing. He knew you. He's always known you. He knew you before you were born. Neither does God choose based on mutual obligation as if he needed to save anyone. Recently, a skeptic was speaking with a Christian and they asked, why doesn't God just save everybody? And the Christian replied, my friend, 
Your question is flawed because it ignores God's holiness, righteousness and justice. The real question is, since God is holy, righteous and just, why should he save anybody? He's not obligated to save anyone. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. God saves entirely different than the way we naturally operate. He doesn't choose based on merit chance or mutual obligation in deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 to 7 we read for you are a holy people to the lord your god the lord your god has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasure possession the lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples Now, if you're not familiar with the history of the Israelites, God had multiplied them and grown them so rapidly that they were about 2 million people while they were in Egypt. It follows that God freed them from slavery, delivered them out of Egypt, and he allowed them to wander in the wilderness for years to humble them for their good because of their rebellion and their hard hearts towards God. And in the wilderness, people had died and kids were born. So it's safe to say there was probably about one to two million mark around that mark. And it would have been so easy for them to look around and say, wow, we're amazing. Look how far we've come. We have a group of two million people. We have an army with over 600,000 people. This must have been why God chose us. Because we're the biggest and we're the best. This must be the reason. And God's like, no. You are the fewest of all people. Of all the people on earth, you are the fewest. You are the least. You are the smallest. Don't forget that God chose you when you were small. If we're honest, this subtle lie of being big is really easy to believe. Someone's phone went off. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for some time and he's changed you and he's continuing to change you. Maybe you haven't really struggled with the same sins you used to. You still stumble every day, but you're getting better at fighting temptations or whatever it is and it'd be really easy to look around and say wow this is why God chose me he must have chosen me because I'm generous with my money and I can give it to people in need he must have chosen me because I'd I'd uh, I'd love to welcome people over to my home regardless if I knew them he must have chosen me because I'd eventually uh, study and go abroad and share the gospel or whatever it is and even as your brother, I confess that um, I've fallen into this subtle lie as well, thinking that God chose me because of my testimony, that he knew that I would put pen to paper, put it in a book, share it with thousands of people, and, and maybe they would hear about Christ. And that's why God chose me. And God's like, no, that couldn't be further from the truth. 
This here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, is God's call to remember our humble beginnings. To remember the state that you were in when God found you. To look back on how broken you were. How needy you were. And how hopeless you were. Don't forget how God found you. God makes it abundantly clear over and over and over again in these historic records. He did not choose any of us because we're awesome. He did not choose us because we have something to offer or because we're generous people. No, the opposite is true. We have no merit or right or reason to be saved. Well, then why did he choose you in the first place? In fact, why does he choose anyone? God explains that in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. Verse 8, it reads, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So two reasons he gives in that verse of why God chose you. And number one is because he loves you. Number one is because he loves you. John 3, John chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to that the world might be saved through him. Doesn't say that he was so impressed with the world that he gave his son to say, yeah, that's the reason. That's the reason why I love you, because you're awesome. Come into my holy presence and my holy kingdom. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's no explanation to his love. He just does. It's just who he is. He just loves you. Do you believe that? Have you banked your life on that objective truth that despite your sinful, unlovable nature, that God loves you? That despite the sins that you have committed and despite how much you might feel like a stain in this world, that God loves you. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 But God shows us he shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Do you understand that God the Son became sin for you? That Jesus became the stain for you? Why did he choose you? 
Because he loves you. Why does he love you? He just does. How do you know that? Look to AD 30 and look no further than the cross. That's the first reason. God chose you because he loves you. The second reason we see why God chose you is because of his oath. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, we read, But because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. What's the oath that he promised? Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis 12, when God makes a covenant, an oath, a promise to Abram or Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now this is the key. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples. Note, this isn't saying every single person, but all peoples, whether Jew or Gentile, whether man or woman, whether slave or free, all peoples. We also see all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Looking at the context, this could refer to all the Jewish descendants. It could. It could refer to a group of Jewish descendants, or it could refer to one. One person, one descendant of Abraham, who through him or her, all people would be blessed. Now, normally any type of oath is two-sided based on mutual obligation. Here's my commitment to you. Here's your commitment to me. I will hold up my end of the deal if you, of course, hold up your end of the deal. But when reading through Genesis 12, you will not find a single aspect that is two-sided. God doesn't say, I will bless all nations or all peoples if you do dot, dot, dot. No. It's just God making an oath a promise to do this thing that all peoples on earth will be blessed. Understand this. God's people are a part of an unbreakable covenant that isn't based on you choosing God first, but God choosing you first. It's about him promising to keep his promise And not our ability to keep our promise to him because we would fail every single day. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 to 8 is saying. I am blessing you because I keep my promises and I will not break it. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. 
Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Understand this, nothing inside of us compels God to save us. God didn't choose to save based on a predetermined obligation like he owed you. He didn't make this promise, this oath to save you because he, he owed you at some point. He wanted to save you. That's not obligation, brothers and sisters. That is love. So the second reason he chose you is because of his oath. But how? In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34, it reads, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It would not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to, to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So in this new covenant, this new oath that will replace the old, no longer will people teach, know the Lord. The capitalized word Lord here is Yahweh, the name of God that was revealed in the book of Exodus to Moses before the Exodus out of Egypt. Here there is a clear difference in what is actually being said. No longer will they teach, know the Lord in a spiritual, some sort of intangible sense, because something will happen that from the least of people to the greatest, they will all know him. That God will reveal himself in a way that is something other than spiritual, a way that is manifested, a way that is revealed, a way that is personal, a way you see that is physical. And in this new covenant, the revealed Lord Yahweh will do something that from the least of people to the greatest, he will do something to forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. No mention of bulls or the blood of unblemished goats sprinkled on the altar. He will do something. And through this oath, we read Isaiah 53 that speaks of a sinless man sent from God that would live, suffer, be rejected by his own people, die for the sins of all mankind and be raised again from the dead so that others may be saved through him. In Isaiah 53 Verses 4 to 6, it reads, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, 
stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. So God would make a covenant unlike the old. Would reveal himself in a way that is personal. That all will know him from the least to the greatest. And by this new covenant, the Lord would lay on this sinless living man all the sins of all mankind. And by his death and resurrection, God, who is holy, righteous and just, would justly forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. So the second reason we see why God shows you is because of his oath. But when? This is all very nice, lovey-dovey, but when? Well, we see when, when we look back 2,000 years ago. In AD 30, in Jerusalem, we see at the time of Passover, a Jewish man called Jesus of Nazareth sitting in an upper room, reclining at a table with his disciples. For three years, both his followers and his enemies saw him heal the sick, cure the lame, made the blind to see, raise people from the dead, preach the good news of the kingdom, And had the audacity, had the nerve to boldly claim to be this prophesied Messiah, this son of man, this son of God. Everywhere he went. We read this Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus, promised son of God, took the cup sitting in front of him and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Second reason why God chose you is because of his oath. Is because he promised. In fact, when you read John 3.16, you see a historic representation of Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 8. For God so loved the world, but because he loves you, That he gave his one and only son. He fulfilled his oath. None of us rise to the surface as likely candidates for his choosing, including this sinner. 
Before him, we are spiritually dead. No pulse for God, not true love for him. And yet he chooses you because he loves you. Because he promised to save you. The next question is when? When did he choose you? We know why he did. Because he loves you and he made an oath. But when did he choose you? When did you choose me? Their answer is before you did anything good. Before you existed. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose every person who he knew would turn and believe and repent, believe in him before he created. He didn't wait to see how you'd pan out. He didn't write your name in pencil just in case you muck up that he can erase your name he chose to write your name in the book of life in the ink of his son's blood Jesus who died for you you have been chosen before the foundation of the world think about that pure grace I love when people say, you Christians, you just think you're better than everyone. And I giggle to myself and I'm like, my friend, you have no idea. The worst of people. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who he is and what he has done through the son of God, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when did he choose you? Before the foundation of the world, before you even existed, God knew you. And he chose you because he loves you. The last thing I want to emphasize this morning is we are not only called by him, we're called to be his. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. It reads, the Lord your God has chosen you. That's the one. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Even if you don't see yourself that way, God sees you as his treasured possession. Take this in for a moment. It would be like God sifting through the garbage and finding a broken, unwanted bottle cap that has no use for anyone or anything, that is stained, that is worthless, that is useless, that is nothing, that is unwanted and unloved. And he looks in his hand at that bottle cup and he says, my treasured possession, I love you. I will never leave your side. 
That's the way he thinks about you. You are his treasured possession and he is crazy about you. Don't ignore this and go, Alex, you don't know what I've done though. You don't know what sins that I've committed. You don't know what temptations that I struggle with. No, you are his treasured possession regardless of how you feel, regardless of what sort of emotions take over. That is who he is and that's how he sees you. But I stumble every day. Welcome to the club. He says, I know you're still mine. But I haven't prayed too much recently. I know you're still mine. But I don't spend time reading your word as much as I used to. I know you're still mine. But I doubt you even exist Sometimes I know you're still mine. There is one God who is one in divine nature and three in person, Father, Son, Spirit. And he chooses you into a deep relationship with him as his treasured possession. We are all Unlikely, unworthy, hopeless, and helpless. And yet God goes, you're mine. I choose you. I've always chosen you. And I will never unchoose you. That's our story. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And yet we have it. And his grace that he chooses you because he loves you and because he promised. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for choosing us, my Lord. Loving Father, you are holy, righteous, and just. We have no merit. We have no reason or right to be saved by you. And in your presence, it would be just of you to cast us away. And in your righteousness, you condemn our evil, but in your immeasurable love, you sent God the Son in our place. You didn't do this as a reaction. You didn't see how messed up we are and try to think of a backup plan. But that you knew that before time began that you would send your son to die in our place. And before time began, you knew who would turn to you and you call them yours. 
Loving God, I pray that we would walk out of this room today, my Lord. And if there is any pride, if there is any doubt, if there is any... I pray that you would remind us this week that this new covenant is based on you choosing us first and not us choosing you. That we are saved by grace, that we are called by you. Lord God, I just thank you in Jesus' name. And I'm reminded of that hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. I thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.